0: there you're listening to the Freelance Heroes podcast with me Ed Goodman if this is your first time then welcome thank you for listening and if you've listened before then welcome back and thank you for listening too. Uh, Each week we either tap into the knowledge and experiences of those who can make our freelancing lives better uh, we chat with the purveyors of freelancing communities, however niche they may be and find out more about the what's and the where's and the how's and also why they do what they do and, and more specifically how their communities help the members too. And we also talk to the owners of businesses who work with freelancers to get their take on how freelancers help them and given their relationship with the freelancing community, understand more about how they see it and how they see it changing in the coming months and years as well. As ever, I'd love your feedback too. Please let me know what that is. Podcast at freelance-heroes.com is the address. Now, this week, I'm chatting with John Torrens, who's a communication coach. And I'll be putting your questions to him about pitching and presenting either digitally or in person. Lots of questions to get through. So without further ado, let's meet John Torrens. Enjoy. Okay, right. So uh, I've got my notes. I've got my drink here. Everything all seems to be in order, so we can crack on. And I feel under pressure because my guest today is communications coach John Torrens, uh, and uh, welcome, John. Good to uh, good to see you. Great to see you. I think, I think the last time I actually saw you is when you um, did your rather wonderful talk at Freelance Heroes Day. 2018.
1: Good lord, it no, was. Or 19. No, 18. <laughs> no, I 18. 18. 18. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I do remember. I do
0: remember what year it was. <laughs> so that was a, a couple mm. of years ago. Um, but now, um, I've got some brilliant questions here from the Freelance Heroes community to, to help us all be better presenters. But I just want to talk about you first of all, because you did mm. what well, I think. Is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Not brain surgeon, not a you know a, a state leader, but a stand-up comedian. Um, so I, I guess uh, so. You're the best person to to, to kind of help us through our, our communication skills or help us improve our communication skills. But I, I want to ask you why? <laughs> why did you decide to become a stand-up comedian? Do you, do you like having fruit thrown at you? Not for a moment suggesting you were bad
1: i i think massive insecurity massive need for approval of some sort is, so just a <laughs> general neediness and i'd basically seen lots of stand-up i've been very interested in it and i was talking to uh, a programmer who i worked with at this video games company and we were just saying we liked it and we've been to see, see a couple of comics and we thought Let, let's just try it and i think it was at a point in my life so i was in my mid-20s in london it's at that time so mid 90s easy to go to any number of tryout nights perform for no money to a handful of people but basically try and fail um, but yeah it's once you've done it and you've got a few laughs of any form then you're probably going to be addicted for a while it's quite a quite a good high were you uh, absolutely just um, oh do you mean addicted yeah yeah absolutely yeah once once you once you've done it once and there's you know there's some people looking at you and they seem to be enjoying what you're doing then you're hooked so why did you stop and I had done it part-time for about 10 years I decided then to go full-time um, my girlfriend supported me doing that and I did it for two and a half years full-time started my own Night for a bit, ran that for a few months, got better, did more comparing, hadn't really got a plan, and so when after a couple of years, my girlfriend said, "So what's the plan with the whole stand-up thing?" And I just looked at her blankly, and oh, there isn't a plan, you know. It just, was just going forever, <laughs> uh, and she went, "Yeah, you know." So in the kindest way possible, she was saying, "Yeah, you're not a superstar yet, and you know, let's consider where this is going." So. I stopped because I'd I'd given it a go and it was was really good to know. This answered the question, if I go full time, what will happen? And so I did it. And so I'd got a lot better, but I wasn't at that stage where I was doing 20 minute sets at lots of big clubs. I was doing a few and I was definitely better, but I hadn't sort of made it as it were. So I stopped.
0: And to our benefit, because you're now guiding the likes (laughs) of freelancers and many other businesses big and small into being better communicators. Um and quite frankly I do think right. you're a superstar. So um it's uh oh.
1: <laughs> so say thank that. you very <laughs> much.
0: <laughs> um so um as I say I've got some questions that have been submitted uh, by the freelance heroes community and I, I want to kind of use these as the basis for our chat. So I'm gonna go through the order in which they were given. Um, but I'm gonna start with what is the most common question you get asked about presenting pitching delivering speeches
1: or talks I think it's how to be confident and I, I always find it funny in a way because it's feeling confident is a result of lots of different things so just feeling confident that's a simple thing to say and to ask for but there's tons there's so many different things that you need to do so that that's the main one, um, but also yeah, not waffling is another one. How do I not waffle? How do I um, how do I keep on track? I feel like some of the questions that have been submitted are more like feedback
0: for this um, for these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> questions <laughs> I should be asking as opposed to those yeah. that are coming that's from right. the freelancers themselves. True. Yeah. <laughs> how to be an excellent presenter <laughs> how do you stop waffling <laughs> those Instead kind of, of this
1: things a, a it's, this is a one-to-one session and other people are just yeah. getting to listen in
0: hey, look, so, this is great I get like my own free consultancy here it's brilliant all right so yeah. let's crack on with the questions well. then so firstly yeah. um how can you help someone not to stare at their audience or to to be more natural when they're speaking and I guess that
1: falls in line with the confidence thing we were talking about a moment ago Yes, I think, well, I mean, stay, I mean, eye contact with the audience is vital. I always tell people that they need to look at their audience and engage them. Um, I remember being told as a, as a child, oh, you you know, play to the back of the room, you know, you look over the top of the audience, which is not a good idea at all. So, Sorry, you uh, so. Look.
0: But who do you look at? Because I always find sometimes if I know this from only the audience, if I've suddenly got, if I've had this moment where my eyes have locked with the presenter, albeit briefly, suddenly I become their focus um, for mm-hmm. a talk, and, and that's you know probably a subconscious thing rather than a conscious thing. So now as a presenter, I do my you know damnedest not to do that. So how where do you do you look at the front row? Do you look at the back row? Do you do you make a point at not looking at the same person twice, or, or who do you look for?
1: I think you need to look at lots of different people around the audience. So someone right in the front row, someone near the back, make sure that everyone feels topped up with attention. And I've certainly had that same experience where I've looked at the same person three or four times and I'm thinking, they must be freaked out by this. I keep looking at them. (laughs) I don't mean to. And of course, the more I try not to do it, the more I do it. And I go, this is weird. And of course, it's fine. The point is, if you address and look at People in different parts of the audience people around each of those people feel like you're paying attention to them so i think it's it's keeping people topped up with attention and it could be that there's someone who's tucked away in a pillar or they're miles away and so uh sorry behind a pillar it could be someone who's miles away so you need to make sure that they've got that attention as well so they're getting a bit of the show
0: okay that makes sense thank you um my favorite question of them all this is based on a true story this question So what do you do when you have just begun your delivery and you realized your flies are open? So I'm going to I'm going to make a presumptuous answer here is what I what I would Mm. probably do if this was me. Um, And at the point you realized your flies are open, I'm going to assume that other people would have noticed it, too. And will continue to notice it until you address it. So the best thing to do is just zip it up and crack on as quickly as you can.
1: Right, I, I would agree, but with the caveat, I would. so First of all, for me, I would be, as soon as I'd noticed, and I'm sure I've done this, I'm sure it's happened at some point, I would feel unsettled continuing like that. However, to zip them up in front of people, would, for me, I, I would have to leave the room. I would have to kind of obscure. If I, could, if I was sitting down and I thought I could do it without anyone noticing, then I would do so. But I would probably just leave the room and say, excuse me for a moment, just got to do something smile on my face leave do it come back and they go right just just need to do something and if anyone asks i would say my flights are undone and and tell them because i you see what i would assume is that actually maybe only one or two people have noticed or maybe no one had noticed so
0: by then zipping it up you've it, so you don't know how many people have noticed so you're hmm. right it could be one or two it could be the entire room It could be nobody but by zipping it up or by doing, leaving the room, turning around, whatever it may be, yeah. suddenly everyone is aware of it. Does that well, create more? If confusion? I leave the
1: room, well, possible. But I think leaving the room would be the, the minimum bad situation. So I, I, I think I could probably get away with leaving the room, come back, go, sorry about that, and just lie about something until someone asks directly. But you wouldn't be drawing attention to it if you left the room in as much as they wouldn't know what it was that you had done.
0: Okay, no, I think that I I do like the caveat that someone added here, saying I once arrived at a lecture and my trousers split as I got out of the car, and I had to walk to find a shop and used safety pins to pin them together. I don't know how that mm. works. It may well have been a painful yeah. outcome, but um, but yeah, uh, fair play. I admire the effort. Right, um, a question that I probably see more often than not when it comes to conversations around uh, delivering keynotes is how much prep should you do in uh, in script versus notes is how they've worded it. But I think there's we can mm. probably ask the wider question around preparation here too.
1: So I think you should do lots of preparation. I think you should do tons. It's the main area where people mess up. They have a bad time for whatever reason, and I ask them about it, and it's because they didn't do enough preparation. And sometimes I think people feel that preparation is bringing them closer to this dreadful moment where they've got to stand up in front of people and speak, so they avoid it and put it off. You should do tons of preparation. However, script versus notes, you don't wanna be reading a script because reading a script will kill your delivery. It'll be wooden, it'll be horrible. But spending tons of time rehearsing and rewording it each time and keeping it fresh and walking around the house and just talking and chatting and saying the words, that's fantastic. And I think the moment you find out you're gonna have to stand up in front of people, and speak you should start saying some words out loud that might be like the words you're going to be saying just to get them embedded and just to get used to saying them out loud then in terms of notes or cues it could be something very simple it doesn't it certainly shouldn't be a verbatim script but i think how much preparation you should do tons i mean there are, there's a school of thought that says you should do you know 10 hours per minute or whatever but i think doing Lots of preparation is key because that's where people fall down. And you'll see that the, the good presentations, the good talks is where people prepare. You know, TED Talks, they rehearse for six months.
0: Now, I guess this is about specifically how much you should write beforehand. So I understand you shouldn't necessarily read from a script. Or does that mean you're against auto cues, though?
1: Yes. Uh, unless you're particularly um, gifted at doing it, it, it will look like you're reading from an auto cue. Um, I mean, it, it will feel like it. I, I think I could tell whether someone was reading from an auto cue, unless they were really practiced and if they were, say, a, a, a politician or someone who's used to doing it. I mean, the, the great example there is the, the, and it always amazes me, at the Oscars, you've got the very best actors in the world and they will read this banal piece of material that presumably they haven't read before. And, and literally, so you've got someone like, whoever it is like Brad Pitt or whatever is sort of an example I think of, but I think any, any actor, any sort of, you know, they're being paid millions for all their gigs and they go, cinematographers bring lights into the world of films. And I'm thinking, this is, this is kind of an ad for you, idiot. You certainly don't sound like an actor and it's whatever reason they didn't rehearse with the, you know, good auto cue. They keep up with your pace of speaking. You're not, they always say you don't, Slow down or speed up because the auto queue person isn't then going to change the speed of it, you know, they adapt to your speed. Um, so yeah, I'd be against auto queue, but I, yeah, I think if you're at that level, you're probably already fairly accomplished as a speaker.
0: And so I understand, as you, uh, as you said, uh, about the script that that kind of leads to needing an auto queue or not, but um, should, I, I, reading from a script doesn't sound natural, I think we agree there, but should you go to the point of writing a script that you then memorize or writing the points that you want to get across or how much detail do you write down to then learn from before you talk
1: i would go out there with cues that are one word memorized that lets you then speak for say a minute so it's literally a a subject it's an area it's a bit and you're going to talk about that word because as soon as you're saying the same words and repeating them it's it's going to kill that delivery it's it's the person who has to say the same thing repeatedly for their job and you hear just the soul has just left them Uh, it needs to feel a little bit as if it's improvised and if you reword it each time and keep it fresh for you and keep it interesting maybe mix the order up a bit change things around That will sound as if you're speaking a little bit off the top of your head, which is great, because if you've rehearsed it and you know the structure, then you sound like an expert. And if you get that right, then the feedback might be, that was amazing. You know, did you rehearse that? Of course, you've rehearsed it, but you've kept it different. The same words, that verbatim script is is not going to be a good idea. Maybe as a first draft, you write the whole thing out just to get the ideas down, but as quickly as possible, as soon as possible, rather, getting key words because you know there are people giving great talks, so they might have three slides for 20 minutes or an hour and there's one word on each one and they're speaking from the heart and the possible downside is yeah you finish you sit down you think oh i didn't mention the really cool thing in the third section of the fourth bit the audience doesn't know you were going to say it and maybe it'll come out in the q a so it doesn't matter just speaking naturally going out there with three four five ideas for however long the talk is and just talking about each of those that's that's the way to do it
0: and when you are preparing is there a you know a a set amount of time so for example for every minute of delivery you should spend an hour rehearsing I think I'd I'd read uh, someone do before or is that very much down to the individual
1: well, the ethos I mentioned earlier on was 10 hours per minute, but I think it's down to you. It's, um, and of course, how much, I mean, it's, it's funny. People say, oh, you know, I didn't have much time. And I'm thinking, well, you were told a week beforehand. So if you really wanted to, you could spend 12 hours on this. Um, so that, that's part of the discipline. That's part of the preparation. That's, again, that's hearing that you're realizing that you've got to give a talk and getting stuck in straight away. But yeah, I think as long as you can, talking about things, going over those ideas and getting them embedded and then they'll start to flow. And then on the day, you can sort of abandon your script a little bit and just keep to that basic structure and then have some fun with it. Have some fun, can you imagine that? you imagine standing up in front of a group of people and just going, hey, I've got something interesting to talk about, this might be enjoyable. (laughs) but then because that you know i assume that makes
0: it more memorable and and also the energy levels i mean need to be a bit higher to keep the audience engaged as well i mean it's like um i remember once i was working as a steward at Wembley stadium and um the eagles were playing they're a massive band one of the biggest bands of all times but it's one of the dullest gigs ever because they you might as well have just listened to an album there was no interaction there was no energy it was eagles gig um there was um so and i just remember the energy levels being really unless you're a diehard eagles fan the energy level being so flat and that was a massive stadium gig
1: yeah yeah so they just didn't yeah they 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 had been asked to just come and do their thing they thought oh yeah cool we'll just go and play our hits the fans will come along they'll love it now you need that interaction because, especially, you see in that situation, you've got an audience who, who've paid lots of money to come and see you. So they'd love anything, you know. They they would anything tossed to them by the by the singer of the Eagles, going, "Hey, you know, I've noticed you at the front there. I like your hair, whatever." They go wild. It'd be so simple to have that to have that interaction, just to just to give them something. But you're right. If you see, it's about a bit of modulation as well. Sometimes people ask me about the the pace and sometimes people speak too quickly. But if you're speaking in a natural conversational way, you could stop and and think for a moment, oh, oh, I've missed a bit, and speak very quickly in a in a short bit and say, oh, actually, there's something I forgot to mention earlier on. There's this other thing that's really good. And that would convey some enthusiasm, it would convey some spontaneity. I mean, you know, you've seen me speak lots and I know that the the thing that I enjoy and I think the 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 USP is I'll react to things in the room and just talk about things that are happening. Um, so giving yourself permission to maybe make a little mistake and speak very quickly at one point and look excited is really good.
0: And what's that line then between kind of creating thought, this authenticity, this natural feeling, and potentially coming across as as unprofessional, which I know is going to be a fear for some people that are listening mm. to this. So for example, I, when I was uh, on uh, episode two or three i think this was i was chatting to joe glover and my wife kind of came came in and brought me a cup of coffee throughout and i thought you know this is great we had his dog turned up um and you know and i left it in because these are unedited but i know for some people when you add those kind of things in all right maybe a bit extreme when it comes to your flies being undone but when you add those things like having a laugh and you know making some sort of authentic point oh i forgot about this thing i mentioned before to some people that can come across as unprofessional so what is that line
1: you've 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 hit the nail on the head there it's authenticity and and it's giving yourself permission to do that so during that previous question you might have heard one of my kids kicking off right and
0: i mean if that's the level 100%. of volume
1: they create when they're kicking off i mean fair play yeah. it's phenomenal so i'm thinking oh dear that's you know that's not very good what's happening there my, my wife's thinking oh my god you know what's happening john's doing this thing i don't care and I'll, it's fine um but that authenticity is so important. And I think the worry about being professional in inverted commerce can lead to people leaving out the interesting stuff. But also, as you've said, if you're comfortable with it and you let your dog or your whatever, you know, your kids come in you go, yeah, thanks. Here's my, here's my cup of tea. That's giving your audience emotional guidance that says this is fine. So whatever happens, i am saying, yeah, this is fine. I'm OK with it. Which is basically telling them you can be okay with it as well and so it's like being late for something or uh you know there's a, there's a school of thought that says you could apologize profusely and start giving a, a reason as to why you're late let's say you, you're late for a talk or something or you could just say thank you so much for your patience should we get straight into it and just go into it and it's not necessarily the point of not apologizing but it's not feeling that you have to explain everything. But I think that idea of being professional or businesslike can mean that people leave behind the interesting stuff. And to be honest, I like to throw out as many little hooks of, look, you know, I love the Dark Knight trilogy. I'm a parent, I'm a runner. I like cycling. I live in Ely, my dad's a vicar, my brother's an actor, you know, just throwing stuff out. So there'll be at some point someone go, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that, or I like this. or And if you know, if people don't respond to the hook and they're not into any of those things, then that's okay. But if they do, then there's suddenly a moment they go, oh, okay. So you've got this extra dimension to you. So yeah, I think putting those things out there, it's like, it's like speakers who swear, you know, there, there are certain, um, you know, marketing people or, or speakers, there's somebody Joe Glover, um, uh, refers to a lot, who's very good, um, who will swear. And part of me's thinking, oh, that's not good. And I thought, no, actually they're not doing it to shock people. They're doing it because that's how they are. Uh, Mark Ritson, I think that's who it is. He's a real potty mouth, but he's brilliant. And I, when I first saw that, I wasn't sure, and I thought, no, that's him. That's how he does things, and that's 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 good. But yeah, authenticity—that's the key. Giving yourself permission to be flawed and human, and therefore vastly more interesting than other speakers.
0: I think that's the, the you know the thing that you mentioned there about allowing yourself to be more natural, or you know, opening up yourself a bit more. The challenge there is for many people, that's a massive hurdle to jump, especially if they haven't talked before. So for someone who hasn't delivered a talk, whether it's in a room, whether it's on Zoom and there is that fear of crossing too much of, of a line or you know, how do, how do they start to build their confidence of, as you say, allowing it to happen?
1: Well, I, the obvious answer there is experience, right? You, I could give you all the tips in the world, and if you don't apply any of them, then you're, you're not going to develop. So getting experience, uh, failing, learning from it, right, as, as with anything. But I would say most audiences for most talks, and this is obviously a huge generalization, are expecting a pretty low bar, right? They're expecting someone to just talk and not be very interesting. So if you look as if you've put in a bit of work, like you've actually written something and you've taken some time over it, and you thought you'd try and put in something interesting and maybe something fun. you've you've shown that you've put in some effort and people appreciate that. If you acknowledge things like. The the room itself or the or the or the format, if it's online or the time constraints or something that's happened in the news or, you know, the British thing is the weather, but it, it could be anything. Acknowledging what's happening, then you're giving people permission. It's like someone phoned me ages ago about oh, we arranging something. And they said, is this a good time? And I said, yeah, I'm eating hobnobs or whatever. You know, I've got a mouthful of sandwich or something, but if you're OK with that. And that immediately just said, this is going to be informal. So we were then businesslike and arranged all the details. But, you know, I just said, oh, I've got a cup of tea and it's really hot, whatever. It's just saying you can relax because I'm relaxed.
0: I did a talk myself um, uh, at Pure London, which is a fashion event um, uh, in well, before the lockdown this year, um, and the person before me was talking about men's fashion, where we're at, where we're going, and he specifically talked about how three-piece suits with white shirts um, were <laughs> so were so 2005 that we're beyond those now. Oh. And of course, what was I wearing? Yeah. <laughs> so I decided. I, <laughs> well, it oh, did look at me. <laughs> as he said that albeit briefly so I then oh. went to do my talk straight afterwards uh, the, yeah. the audience was the same my audience was bigger anyway not that I'm bitter about it um, and yeah. um, <laughs> I, I started off by saying uh, right uh, here to talk to you today just before I do I just need to make a note uh, no three-piece suits for next talk um, so I thought I'd make a bit of but I got nothing I might as well have said it to a room of mannequins. It was a fashion event. They may have actually been mannequins. So therefore, yeah. I I immediately then started to err uh, and um as I got myself into into line. So I then questioned, should I have done that before? Or was I should I have prepared myself that maybe no one will laugh? Um, I don't I don't know if I handled that situation well or not. I thought it would be an icebreaker. I mean, the feedback of the talk went well. Oh. I think I picked myself up again, but um, and you know, uh, the Q and A was great afterwards. But um, but yeah, anyway. So what would you have done?
1: I would have done the there. same thing, and I suspect I would have been slightly, maybe slightly shaken by that by a lack of response. But it could be they all loved it, but they weren't ready to laugh, and you know that's just not what they were expecting. Um, they simply weren't ready to do it. So I think absolutely acknowledging it. Or just going, hey, do you like what I'm wearing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's really funny. No, I think what you did there was funny. So no, I think that was the right thing to do. But I absolutely understand then doing that and getting nothing back would would be tricky. Is that the photo on your LinkedIn profile, by the way? Because it looks like a... No, one no. Like a, one
0: on my LinkedIn profile is a talk I did uh, about a month later at a fashion event in Birmingham where I specifically did not wear a three-piece suit. Uh, I wore a waistcoat and a good, jacket but and I wore jeans.
1: So I learned the lesson. I thought... Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Now, I think talking about what's happening there and then is really important. So a long time ago, I did a gig with Andy Parsons, who's um, you've seen on Mock the Week and stuff. And uh, yeah, this is ages ago. And uh, I was on first and he was on last. So, um, you know, he went on sort of, you know, hour and a half later and he, his opening line was, just in case you're wondering, I'm not the first bloke coming up to have another go. Right? So... You know, people aren't really going to remember back to the first act, but they remembered enough where, you know, he's saying we, we looked alike, which was, which was very funny. It was a lovely little thing for me as well. So <laughs> I think definitely mentioning what's, what's going on. No, I think that's really good. I think that's funny. Maybe because it was the first line that gave you, I, th- I think that that's, the, that's what I would have done. But because it's the first line, you then set yourself up to be worried about lack of response. It's a bit like, you know, starting with a, a joke. I think talking about what's happening is one thing, but to, to open up with that is, is a risk. But I, that's a risk I would have taken, so I think you did the right thing. Well,
0: I mean, ultimately, if I wasn't already put off by the idea of stand-up comedy, I most definitely was after that moment. Um, and I think, by the way, having Andy Parsons write a joke about you is a claim to fame, actually going, that's business card worthy, that is.
1: Hmm yeah
0: <laughs> no all right <laughs> um so actually talking about preparation um uh i thought it was funny anyway in uh, uh but the next question kind of actually segues quite brilliantly from the um script and notes part because the question is what tips do you have to stop using filler words
1: like um right i believe that you can get away with a certain amount uh certain threshold before the audience notices. Once they notice, however, then they'll notice every single one. So in terms of it being a problem, I think you can get away with a few. I think the main thing really is just to be aware of it, to try and stop yourself doing it, but not to freak out. So when you hear yourself deliver that um, or the filler word, take a moment and think, right, I need to do less of those but also it's being comfortable with the silence because it's filling a silence and British people hate a vacuum. So when you're not sure what to say next, it can actually be rather good to say absolutely nothing, take a moment, think about what you're gonna say next and then deliver it. I heard a, a bit of advice for interviews, which is even if you know the answer to the question and you've got the answer ready as they're delivering the question, you should stop for a moment and pause to look as if you're thinking about what the answer to the question should be. So getting used to a pause is really hard, but it can give you a lot of gravitas. Is there a value in, so
0: there's a, is there a value of filling that pause though with an um, so, or should you be silent during that
1: pause? Absolutely silent. Take a moment, create that tension. It feels weird. It feels counterintuitive. But sometimes a great way to start a talk is to walk up to the front, smile at everyone and just wait and just let that tension build when you've really got their attention. Deliver that first line when you can hear a pin drop. It's great to create a little bit of tension and then talk. And also, I mean, the passage of time feels like it accelerates when you're talking. So those three or four seconds will feel like 10. For an audience, they won't feel that strange.
0: Talking of... Uh, words filler words is one thing but I also tend to find that sometimes I might reflect on a course I might have run or a talk I might have given and realize I use that word a lot so obviously it was a word that I once found myself using a lot which I thought then also got annoyed myself for using the word, obviously, because it was obvious they wouldn't have employed me to deliver a talk about the social media. But um, I found myself using the word obviously a lot. I assume this is like a comfort blanket type word, but how do we stop ourselves from falling into that trap?
1: It can be very useful to video yourself, watch it back, see how many times you use it. But as I say being aware of it, noticing it, and just trying to reduce it. So you could get away with saying, obviously, once every couple of minutes or every few minutes, over a 20-minute talk, it'd be okay. But once you've delivered that critical one where people realized, ah, it's it's always coming up, then, as I said, they're going to notice every single one. So I would just try to reduce it and get to the point where you don't say it at all. But don't freak out when you hear yourself saying it.
0: I have also gone down the road of realising I've been saying it a lot during the talk and then referenced it by saying the word obviously and going, obviously, it's not obvious. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to me. Um, And again, I do that as a kind of icebreaker, a change from the norm. Is that should I do that or is that just you're you're being a bit of an idiot now?
1: I I love the self-analysis and stand up comics do this a lot and it shows being absolutely comfortable with something. So let's say something goes wrong, you've spelt something wrong in a slide or you made a big mistake. What I will do is start referencing it in a non-obvious way. And then there's a little punchline of his. this thing. So I would say, uh, I did one where, yeah, here's one. So I had one where I was at an accountancy firm and everyone introduced themselves as they came in. And of course, as soon as they said their name, I immediately forgot them all. I then had to go around. I then decided to go around and ask everyone their name to write them down because I hadn't got a delegate list. And of course, they all went, "Yeah, we just we just said hello to you and told told you our names." <laughs> um, and so I had to go. Do you know what? A professional coach, a professional coach would have had a printed list uh, or would have remembered <laughs> people's names. So I'm, gonna, so I'm basically just putting out there, going like, "Here's the stupid thing I did. Um, this is ridiculous." But hey. Let's see who And again, you're just letting people know, this is what's happening, this thing has happened. So it's again, it's like the flies thing. You could get away, you could, if you think you can get away with it, you know, if I was thinking, so now, let's say my flies are undone now, I'd be talking to you and you don't know for certain, you can kind of see what my elbows are doing and maybe I'm doing that and now we're good. Um, but if I definitely, uh, if, if it was obvious, then I've got to, got to reference it. Got to, got to, let people know. But I would definitely just show people, um, and you're basically just saying, "Look, I'm a human being. I think this is preposterous. You know, it's, it's it's ridiculous. It's funny. Therefore, you will as well. And I think the fact that you're okay with it will be funny. That's the other thing.
0: Obviously, the flies thing is uh, is not an issue on a on a Zoom call.
1: Um, mainly because it doesn't. I don't. You know, it's not relevant on these pajama bottoms. I'm, I'm not wearing. I'm only wearing a shirt, so there's no, obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice and airy well done um when i, yeah. uh, I it's hot <laughs> when I, um when you look back or when someone asks you a question about either the best talk or the worst talk you've been do you do they do you have immediate examples spring to mind about uh, not I, that you yeah. necessarily deliver but that you've attended
1: that's the thing yeah do you mean ones i've delivered or ones i've
0: seen (laughs) actually no i will ask you about the ones you delivered at the moment but let's uh, focus on you as a delegate uh
1: yeah so what i find there are there are a few um i'm not going to name and shame but the, the what's what i always find incredible is they start happening and i i find myself just thinking this cannot be happening this cannot be the talk where someone's reading out bullets verbatim for 25 minutes and it is happening. And you just think this is incredible. This, this is actually happening. Um, but what did you want to know? Would you, would you want, do you want little examples?
0: No, yeah, I guess. So you're right. Obviously I, you know, protect those, um, you know, Mm. those who are guilty or innocent, but more about actually what was it about them that made it so horrific? And then we'll focus on positive after that.
1: I think the uh, yeah one is just reading bullets verbatim where you think surely now people know that you didn't do that. And yet they're going through and they get to the third of the five bullets that are 30 words long verbatim recited. Um, so that's probably the, the big one where you think surely not. And I don't want to be an ass who's, I mean, I think this was at a, an event where I was sort of a, not necessarily an outsider but i wasn't like part of the group and so i thought if i pick them up on it and give them a hard time that would be <clears throat> inappropriate but i'm also thinking surely everyone else is thinking the same thing so that that's one and then uh, a similar one like that which is years ago when i started which was lots of bullets lots of slides but overrunning so someone's been given the 20 minute slot and they actually said oh um I've got 50 slides, I'll speak really quickly, right? Which is really funny if it's a joke, but this was not a joke. And sure enough, they got to 20 minutes and they went over by sort of five or 10 minutes. And this is in an event with three speakers. So they're just using up their time. So just, it's it's a sort of lack of awareness. It's not even not preparing and going, oh, I've got too much and I should cut it down. It's just someone going, do you know what? I've got this, this is perfect. This presentation is exactly as it should be. Um, or yeah I've got my 50 slide thing that's my talk so I'll deliver that in 20 minutes so and the yeah, good just, just- no yeah.
0: I can understand yeah. that the, the the I mean the death by PowerPoint in itself is a is a conversation um but uh we'll come to that in a moment what about the um the talk you've been to that has you know really been grabbed your attention that you've still look back as being the the number one talk that's
1: tricky actually i think there are talks where people have told stories which i really like where they're just sharing something so i think basically really succinct and concise is the first thing where someone's got maybe a a 20 minutes slot, a half half hour slot but they've delivered something in 10-15 minutes and they've just kept it really simple they've told a story if they've had slides they've used really good images so i'm not sure i've got any one specific one um one springs to mind which was for a 30 minute talk five no six slides that's right because i'm thinking they, they divided it up and they'd used stock photos but they'd chosen good stock photos So I didn't mind. And they just had a a word, single title, massive text. And so I could see they'd got five minutes approximately per slide. And that was a cue for them. And they spoke about each aspect of I think it was marketing uh, or events. And that just worked. And I just thought I was sort of catching myself thinking. Because I'm always analyzing a a talk, I can't help it. Um, I'll get to a point where I go, oh, I've stopped analyzing it. I've stopped trying to work out what's, you know, because I'm enjoying it which is really good. Or sometimes people will give a talk and I think I didn't time it or I didn't worry about how long it was because it was really good and therefore it didn't matter as opposed to when the hell is this gonna finish because it's so so tedious. So yeah, I don't have specifics on those, but I think the, and some are and looking enthusiastic. You know, there, there are, I've seen people give talks where it's chaotic But there's so much enthusiasm, I don't care, because I just think, well, I like this person. They know what they're talking about, they're delivering with real energy, and we just like them. (laughs) Which,
0: by the way, reminds me of a talk (laughs) that you did where you singled me out, and I think it's because I was at the back of the room looking quite worn
1: out. (laughs) I I didn't realize I'd done that during the talk. Did I do it during the talk? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I did. So I, I should add, we just had a baby, so I hadn't had any sleep. Um, I, yes, <laughs> I, I've used I've used this a few times. So yeah, this is in um, this is in a room with maybe thirty people, um, and you were sort of, yeah maybe ten meters away in the aisle, sort of on the aisle seat, fixing me with this. Uh, I think it's a stare, oh. and you you didn't look happy, and I'm thinking right, I kind of need Ed to be happy because of who you are. I want everyone to be happy, but you in particular, like you look. Because <laughs> I was hosting not, the right, talk. I so I, uh, sorry, what did you say?
0: I was hosting the talk as well. So yeah, I yeah, guess that's-, that's big, yeah.
1: uh, It was very much your gig and I didn't realize I'd highlighted it, but yeah, I just said this This is happening. So if I didn't know, I'd be quite worried. and so. But that's a great example of seeing someone in the audience who maybe isn't as engaged as you'd hope, and then worrying and thinking, I'm getting this wrong. Whereas there's a perfectly reasonable explanation and it's fine. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a that's a tricky discipline of, you know, the person who gets out their phone and looks like they've checked out, may be loving it and they may be looking you up. They may be
0: notes
1: on their phone, for example, but, I guess. I'll be sitting in the front row looking bored. I'm really into it. I'm just noting stuff down
0: um no it definitely wasn't you i just had had no sleep for a while Uh, Just, just um so uh question now is what do you do to understand the makeup of your audience actually it's a two-part question because they then Hmm. say and once established how do you use that to ensure you're getting and retaining their attention Asking and them questions know, is How important good. is that anyway? I mean, if, you know who the gig is and why you're there, but how much do you
1: need to know about the makeup of your audience? I, I don't know. I mean, you, you can investigate. I think asking them direct questions is good. Asking an audience a question is a good way just to engage them, uh, even if it's a rhetorical question. <clears throat> but why not ask them for some um, feedback or you know ask them something? You may have to be ready for no answer. But getting some interaction in that way is great. And find out, is this important to you? Do, you know, is this something you want to know this particular section of the talk? Do you want to know more about this particular thing? Do you care about it? Yeah, I think getting direct interaction through questions is really good or even better if you've, if you've got the courage of saying, can anyone give an example of this? Or you know, have you ever experienced this? And then suddenly you've got a story and something that's really relevant. But I think just asking them at the beginning because you could have someone do research and say well they're all doing this but you don't know who's actually going to turn up so yeah ask them who cares about this um who doesn't care about this <laughs> see what happens yeah as long as it's good in a talk to have a sort of so what moment like well why should you care and, you know, try, and, try and make it relevant
0: again it's all about the confidence and, and the experience i'm going to come back to confidence in a bit uh, there's another question here which i guess is largely the same although i don't know the context behind many of these questions which is how can you engage different personalities or types of people at once but i think You've just answered that by saying, just
1: ask some questions. There is, you should have visual people who engage in that way and who learn that way, and maybe having audio and music helps other people, but I think having interaction is really good. So particularly if it's on a Zoom call, is asking people direct questions. Or, you know, I'll do, so my one, which is sort of icebreaker thing, is when someone sits down, I'll reference something that, that clearly I clearly, I can see them because you can feel like you're kind of hidden in the crowd if you're on a big Zoom call. But if I then call you out and go, I love that mug. You know, I like Pokemon as well. And goes, oh, my God, yeah, you're talking to me. And that's there's something sort of relevant there or, you know, make sure you're, you know, you adjust your window or something. You're, you're just picking out details, which is what I like to do. And again, that's that's something which comes with experience or mentioning what someone's wearing or where they're sitting or. Just those little practicalities. It's of the moment, so that that could be a nice way of saying I can see you and and I'm interested in you.
0: Fab, are you talking about by the way the the freelance heroes? Oh, hello, the freelance heroes mug. Is that? Hang on, let me just grab it here. Is, it, is that the mug you were you were talking <laughs> about here? Available now from all good mug shops. That's not that's, that's a not the way. No, Sorry, I as I was doing that. that as I went to to go and get the mug. My earpiece fell out. You're gonna have to say that again oh that's oh, good that. so this is brilliant for a radio for for an audio broadcast we we're right now comparing yeah, mugs. I'm um so i've got my freelance I'm, heroes mug you've got a pac-man mug
1: a mug and at the moment it's just the maze but if i fill up with hot water all the ghosts and pac-man and dots turn up oh, so. oh my freelance heroes mug doesn't do that
0: but it has got a red inside and a white outside so and it has been designed look if if uh by a uh uh a freelancer, illustrator. A so it's a professional job. Again, uh, that made for terrible radio. Um, but, mm. uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll put that. I've taken a screenshot of that moment. I'll put it on Twitter. um yeah, So here's a uh, uh, another question, which is, how do I expand on what I'm saying without being waffly? um I'm often too brief, especially if it's talking about myself. I suspect this is actually a two-part question. So. I'm going to make a, an assumption here. Um, in when I ask this question, that if I deliver a talk and I've given thirty minutes to deliver it, let's say there is no Q and A, so that we remove that part of it. How do I? Should I talk for thirty minutes, or does it matter? If I talk for fifteen, have I? Shortchanged anyone I mean if I've delivered everything I need to say and my self-reflection actually feels that I've done it effectively what's
1: you know what's acceptable I think the Q&A can often be the best bit so I would in a 30 minute slot I would do 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get to the Q&A because that's your interaction and giving people something that's definitely relevant however if there is no Q&A then and there's a 30 minute slot. I think finishing just a little bit early is good, just so that for practicality's sake, particularly if it's a Zoom call, um, or in fact, in, in any situation, finishing early and letting people know I'm going to talk to you for 25 minutes or 20 minutes is great. I think there's also um, the, the purpose of the talk is to get the information into your audience's head to convince them of something. If you write out your material and you think, do you know, what this is five minutes and I've got half an hour, to then think I need to fill this would be the logical, obvious thing to do, but you don't need to. If you can get the idea into their heads and convince them of something in five minutes, they'll love that. Imagine if you, you, you sit down and go, actually, we've got half an hour. I think I can do this in six. How does that sound? Most audiences would just be, yes, thank you. I can do other <laughs> stuff. Um, no, no one ever said, oh, I wish that had gone on longer, unless it was you know amazing. So I think being able to to be concise and brief is really good, right? Brevity is the soul of wit. Conciseness is good. We don't want long emails. We don't want long meetings. We don't want long presentations. Um, Feeling that you've shortchanged them, if, if you've told them that this is how long it's going to take, then that's great. But I think being concise is really good. However, when it comes to talking about yourself, yes, then you've got the British, why would you want to know about me? Um, you know, I'm rubbish at everything, which is the you know the traditional way that we uh, present ourselves. Learning to expand on that and tell a story about this is my background. This is what makes me tick. That's good, but that can still be concise as well. But I think if you're erring towards and conciseness, then that's that's good.
0: Um, so. I guess then how do they expand on what they're saying without being waffly? It's difficult to, to know the specific or difficult to answer this entirely without knowing more of the specifics. But what are your tips?
1: Hi, and thank you for repeating the, that question that I hadn't answered uh, adequately. Well, you don't. Um, there were several questions in there, in my defence. There were, there were two oh, or three yes, questions and funny. I remembered the last bit, but not the beginning, which is the first bit. And again, you see I'm pointing out what's going on. So, right, here's, here's the thing. You have your talk. Uh, you've worked out and what you should do is work out a basic structure of let's say it's 20 minutes four sections five minutes per section on average you've started rehearsing straight away because you've listened to what i've said and you immediately get an idea of how long roughly it takes to deliver it that's the important thing you might think oh i'm going to do a 20 minute talk and then you realize it takes you 37 minutes to deliver without stopping or you find the, the converse and you find it. oh, well, actually, this only takes eight. So the important thing is to start saying the word, start running through it. Just get a rough idea of how long it's going to take. You can then put a timing on each of those sections. So you may find that. And so you rehearse with your uh, with your clock on your phone and then you deliver the talk with the clock on your phone. And so you can check against the section. So you've got, say, section three has to start at seven and a half minutes. And then you're sort of steering the ship. Now, you may find that you're ahead of time. So I, if I arrive at section four, which I know needs to start at roughly half, seven and a half minutes, and it's five minutes, cool. Then I've got two and a half minutes where I can expand on it and deliver a bit more. What typically happens, I find, is that people will overrun, and so they look down at their their clock and they, it says nine minutes, and they know they needed to start the section at seven and a half, so then they need to pick up the pace. But I think as long as you've got the structure, then you can expand and deliver it. As long as you then come back to this is section four and also letting people know where they are as well We're now you know i showed you five so i'm going to cover these five things and for each one nice big header or you know we're now on section three of the five so when i start on the fifth i'm going we're now in the final one then people know they've got an idea what well, we're in the last bit and so it will feel natural to expand on that if you've got time um it's <clears throat> there's
0: a, a question about fidgets so I talk with my hands a lot so knowing what to um to do with my hands while I'm delivering a talk isn't so much of a problem because I'm often waving them around furiously um and the same applies to when I'm on a zoom call or you know as we're doing this chat now so but for those moments when you don't know what to do with your hands maybe you don't have a podium in front of you maybe you don't gesticulate a lot what should you do with your hands how do you stop yourself from
1: fidgeting Right. It's tricky. I mean, in this scenario, I've got a pen and things. And so I'm finishing a bit more. If I'm standing up and delivering a talk, then I will gesticulate. If I've got a clicker or cue cards, then I'll be holding those. Definitely not hands in pockets, but don't shy away from gesticulating. I, people have told me that they were told by someone else, oh, you know, we, we're told not to wave our hands. If that's authentic and that's you, then you should absolutely do that. And I think it's a it's a lovely way of of adding to your communication, but it should be authentic. So having just something to hold, some kind of totem, can be really good. I've seen people give a talk with a pen. They've just been given the talk with a pen, and it's pointless, right? They, they're not using the pen at all, but it feels like a magic wand or something, and it just feels like a, a, an item of, of power. So, yeah. Wait, so you're saying that's something. okay, or you're saying that's a no-no, having a pen? I love it. No, no, because I, I remember okay. just... When I saw do it, I was thinking, "Why are you holding that?" And I thought, "It doesn't matter. It's fine. It looks like it's something, <laughs> it's something that's important." It's like holding- yeah, ta That's right. And you know, oh yeah, holding a clipboard or holding a book or something. Or you know, I've seen people hold notes and not refer to them once, but the fact that they had the notes maybe as a, a little sort of security thing just looked as if they prepared and it looked it looked natural. They were holding it or walking around with a with a cup or something or you know having a sip of water there's some anything that feels natural be anything at all so i don't think it, it really matters as long as you're aware of what you're doing and so i have seen people sort of crush their their hand while giving a talk or squeezing each individual or going through some weird ritual of they're not quite sure what to what to do with their hands so finding something to do and again video yourself and find out what it is that you happen to do
0: we are a pair of gesticulators which sounds like a, a derogatory term um but <clears throat> so anyone watching this if they could with the sound down would think we're doing some form of incomprehensible sign language conversation going on here but uh, it's it's quite it's quite interesting watching you gesticulate quite a bit when you talk but it's not in the same way of putting but i guess also it's it's habitual uh, more than anything else um i want i think this is um a great question to end with, um, if you've got a few hours to answer it, um, which is how to become an excellent presenter. Um, so, I mean, there's so much we can do to this. So I'm going to reword the question. Oh, actually, no, there is, is. I'm do, uh, just to go, there are questions being asked in the Freelance Heroes group that um, as we do this. Um, so, uh, one question is how to stop overthinking what you're doing and relax.
1: Right. Do you want me to answer that now? Uh,
0: <laughs> might as well. And then I'll go that's to the know. next question, which is about yeah. props. Uh,
1: I think that's, again, it's experience. I think it's taking a moment, isn't it? The the, the fast thinking, slow thinking, the chimp. You've got this instinctive part of you, which will be saying, you're in danger. Deliver something quickly. Uh, you're, you're under threat. Whereas your audience is just thinking, I hope this is all right. I hope this is fairly interesting. So you need to remind yourself of those facts. I've been asked to speak about something that I know about. I like this subject. I've done my preparation. If you're nervous because you haven't done your preparation, then I can't help you. Then you you deserve everything you get, unfortunately. But if you've put in the prep, you should feel more calm anyway, but you can tell yourself. I know I'm I'm ruthless. But if you've done the prep, then you can say, I've done the prep. You can tell yourself, look, I've got this. This is probably going to take, 15 minutes, just like I rehearsed, I'm gonna stop talking and at the end they might have a question and that's it. It's really not gonna be, uh, because as I I said at the beginning, the bar is low. So if you look as if you've put in some work and you've got a little bit of a personality and you've put in a story, then the audience will love that.
0: There's a, and I don't know if this is a question or an answer, um, but it's um, from someone who wrote props, scarves and makeup for the ladies really, because nothing, because nothing worse than a flushed look. <clears throat> so I don't know if that's right. a tip um, or um, or a question about mm. it.
1: Really. Okay, I uh, I think you should look as if you've put in some effort. Um, I remember seeing some You're speaker online out. who was is here, yeah it's shoddy Ed absolutely shoddy <laughs> no but no here's the thing I wasn't sure I I he's right. I've put on this collared shirt, right? So I was wearing a t-shirt, I've put this on. I know it's an audio thing, but it makes me feel more business-like, professional. I don't know what that is, exactly. So, you look great. So, but it's something about, the, it's the ritual. It's the ritual of getting ready, isn't it? So yeah, I saw this this CEO speaker online and he was wearing a scruffy suit and I thought you haven't bothered. I wanna feel like you've, you've put in the effort. But having said all that, um if you're worrying about your makeup then i think you're at a point where everything else needs to be nailed first right i as long as you don't look scruffy it's it's the talk right i want to know what is it you're going to say i'm going to forgive all kinds of things if you've moved me and got me engaged with it and i may not even notice various things about your appearance and you fretting about the color of the scarf is not really uh, a problem it's like me getting wrapped up in PowerPoint. Um, as soon as I'm worrying about the tone of the drop shadow on that text, I've gone too far, right? Let's get the basics sorted first. You could, you could get away with loads, basically. You could even, even on counter advice, you could almost get away with being very slightly scruffy if you delivered something that was a real tour de force. You know, if you delivered with real energy and enthusiasm and you blew people away, they wouldn't really care whether, you know, you were wearing a particular color or not. But um, yeah, it's look as if you've put in the effort, but also help yourself feel good. So to counter my own counter, if you um, if that particular scarf is your favorite scarf and you love it, then bloody wear it. You know, it'll it'll make you feel good. No, that makes sense. So going back to the question about
0: how to become an excellent presenter, I'm going to uh, throw uh, some caveats into this, which is. Your tips, really, for anyone who hasn't done this. So they might be invited to deliver a Zoom talk. And you've kind of given one tip there, which is around, you know, making an effort. But you're delivering a Zoom talk to a room, um, you know, for the first time. What, what, what are your tips around the way to prepare what you should have with you when you
1: start that kind of thing? I think having your environment ready is really making sure you've got everything because you can hide all kinds of things, right? It's not like standing up in front of people. So I would have all my notes that I might need. Uh, if I am showing some slides, I would have a printout of the slides. I'll have a sheet of paper or post-it so I can note stuff down. So as people are saying it, I can note that down. I'd make sure I've got my water. i will make sure I've been to the toilet, you know, sort of basic stuff, but make sure that I'm comfortable with everything and then you could have a think about the, the, the background. So for the moment, you can't see it. Um, you know, the way I've set this up is okay, but if I'm doing a bigger one, I might move it so that I've got just the books in the background. But I think, um, but in terms of becoming an excellent presenter, um, it's, it's getting that experience and giving yourself permission to, to, to fail and, and, try and just trying things out, experimenting. Because again, you could try out a new technique, your audience might not notice, they probably won't care. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. But if it does work, and you realise, oh, mentioning this particular thing gets a laugh, then you can reuse that. If doing a particular thing using a particular technique works, then you can use that next time, and then that lends to your your repertoire of stuff that you can do. But it's it's making you feel comfy because they they just want to see you looking happy, right? They're looking again. They're looking for these emotional cues. So if you start off, you're hey, how you doing? You know, they might think you're insane. This is our ninth Zoom of the day, and we're, we're knackered. But you know, you look happy. You go, look, I've got my Pac-Man mug. They'll go, okay, you're, you know, you might be drenched, but this is going to be more interesting than we'd expected. So immediately you've, you've raised that bar a little bit and they think, okay, yeah, this might be good fun. Brilliant.
0: I think that's a fantastic tip to uh, end on. I don't doubt that there'll be some more when we start to, to get into a world where we're delivering talks back in rooms and conference centres. Um, then. Uh, I think having a chat that might prepare people for that would be incredibly useful. But John, you know, it's been uh, wonderful to uh, to hear your many words of wisdom and uh, thank you very much for your time. Oh, I should add, by the it's way, a- there was a question. If anyone, I know we're going to put all the links in the, the um, in the, the, the post, in the show notes, but if there was one way that you would like people to get in touch with you or find out a bit more about you, where should they go?
1: I think the website is best. That's johntorrens.co.uk. So J-O-N-T-O-R-R-E-N-S.co.uk. I'm very easy to find on the internet, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's all over like the internet. Oh, and a little thing for you, Ed. By the way, have, have you noticed this? All the way through, look, in the background. Do you know what that is? That book. You know oh, that oh the adder the scripts. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, I've
0: got mine. There yeah, is yeah. yeah. one. No, so see yours, Ed. I've got mine. My- Ah, thank you very much actually your zoom backdrop again this is great for radio so There's a lot about you you've got the blackadder scripts you've got a family picture there because yeah. you're family orientated you've got a a picture of uh darth vader there too um so uh, yeah uh, it's is that iron man is that a figurine of iron man in the background yeah uh so no, nice uh, nice zoom backdrop um so um john again thank you very much for your time <laughs> An absolute pleasure. Thanks again to John for that. I can confirm that immediately after our chat, he did go and pop some pants on. Uh, if you have any questions or thoughts about today's podcast, then do email me podcast at freelance uh, Search for the hashtag Freelance Heroes across Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And also go to the podcast section of the forum at freelance-heroes.com to chat with others who have listened and have thoughts about the podcast as well. For now though, thanks again for listening. Tune in next week. Until then, stay safe. Have a good week. Bye for now.